0: Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.
1: Arizona Sports, Cardinals head coaching search. Update. 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 Why did it take us so long to get here? I say that (laughs) for me. All the folks out here in Denver, we've heard all the flirtations with D'Amico Ryan and the second interview with Jim Harbaugh. Let's just circle back to Sean Payton then literally just Sean Payton was your guy for the Walton Pinner group, but you didn't want to have to part with the draft capital, so you're trying to find any other way to get this head coaching position filled. That's what it begins to feel like now, like Sean Payton may have been the first choice, but the complications around that draft capital made, it, made him the third choice in this process.
0: That is Chad Brown from uh, Denver Sports 104.3, in our sister station up in the Mile High City, uh, asking some of the questions that a lot of people are asking. With the news breaking yesterday, Adam Schefter put it out there that the Broncos will uh, be the team that uh, Sean Payton coaches moving forward. There's been an agreement on compensation going back to the Saints. Obviously, ripple effects here in Arizona because Sean Payton was high on the list. Uh, how high on the list of the Cardinals? We don't know. We don't know if an offer was made after that seven hour interview. We do know that the Cardinals, uh, in the days following, scheduled more interviews, which are going, went yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Um, what now for the Arizona Cardinals? How high on the priority list was Sean Payton? <laughs>
2: yeah, great question. Uh, in my opinion, he should have been very, very high on the priority list. I think that this was a great opportunity for the Cardinals. And, and it's weird because the story has gone in stages. There was the the initial stage when Sean Payton um, was available and was making overtures of coming back. And then there was the actual interview with Michael Bidwell last Friday that went seven. Plus hours, and and the two guys seem to get along, um, from appearances' sake, uh, swimmingly, and that led to the weekend, and that led to now, and and I think there is uh, certainly a level of disappointment from from my end. And then for a guy like Paul Calvi,si who covers the Cardinals, who's embedded with the team, for him that, to feel so strongly that this was going to happen, to predict it was going to happen. Now that's a guy on the inside, mm-hmm. a very smart guy um, who is good at analysis and, and seeing this kind of stuff. So, so clearly inside the building there was there was a legitimate hope that he would come to Arizona. So my gut feeling is Vinny, gut and I don't know this yet, and hopefully over talking to people in the next couple of days will get a better view on this. My gut feeling right now is Sean Payton used the Cardinals, that Sean Payton ultimately did not want to come here for what for either the or for either the ownership factor, which I don't think it is in this particular case, or the quarterback factor, which I do think it is in this case. Again, this is just my best guess, but that could be countered. That could be countered by a couple of different things, such as, number one, um, as of yesterday morning, the Denver Broncos were still looking for somebody who wasn't Sean Payton. So does that tell you that the compensation paid to the New Orleans Saints was driving teams away? There certainly was a feeling when the Cardinals went out and announced interviews with both the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator, of the Bengals, that... Okay, what is this all about? Are the Cardinals clapping back at the Saints? Are they saying, okay, you want to play that game? We're going to start looking elsewhere. Uh, I really hope it didn't come down to that because if it came down to a matter of what team was able to pony up with the New Orleans Saints, that to me would say that Sean Payton was cool going Either place. And I don't think Sean Payton rolls like that. I think Sean Payton, I think this decision starts with Sean Payton. I don't think it starts with what team was willing to meet the Saints' asking price. Yeah, it's that, a
0: fair point. There's a lot of people that are saying, you know, asking the questions, you know, Sean Payton did not have to go back to coaching this year. He kind of held all the cards. And people pointing out that their thought is the Denver Broncos is an imperfect situation, uh, for Sean Payton to go into. Tony Kornheiser of ESPN, among
1: those asking those questions. And my first reaction was, why would he go there? I understand what you say about Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson was terrible this year, and sometimes people fall off the edge of the cliff, but he's the same, he's the same size as Drew Brees. And Sean Payton knows what to do with smaller quarterbacks, but you 're walking into a division, and this is my point about going to denver you 're walking into a division where the Kansas City Chiefs have been the five straight AFC championship games. They are as close to a dynasty in the West in the AFC as is possible, and in, it, with the chargers you 've got an up and coming team and you 've got a quarterback. In Justin Herbert, that may be a great quarterback. If I am Sean Payton, I would have waited. We've talked about this before. Wait for the Chargers, maybe wait for the Cowboys. So I don't know why he jumped in here. And the other part of this, Mike, is they gave up so many draft picks for Russell Wilson. Now they're giving up draft picks for Sean Payton. What do they got?
0: Yeah, in the last two off seasons. Uh, here's what Denver's given up. 2022 first-round pick to Seattle, 2022 second-round pick to Seattle, a 2022 fifth-round pick, fifth pick, a 2023 first-round pick, a 2023 second-round pick. Noah Fant, Drew Locke, Shelby Harris, and for Peyton, a 2023 first-round pick and a 2024 second-round pick. So in terms of draft capital, at least at the top of drafts, they are marginalized.
2: Hey, yeah, um, and if Sean Peyton wins the Super Bowl with Russell Wilson, none of that will matter. That's true. Uh,
0: I think the, the, the point on the AFC West... Is, is a valid point. Sean Payton's obviously a very confident guy. We've got a decade uh, worth of of track record for Russell Wilson that he's a good quarterback and can be a championship level quarterback. Last year was the outlier. But last year was a complete and utter disaster in Denver. I'm right in the middle. Can Sean Payton fix Russell Wilson? I think it's going to be intriguing. Um, you know, the point that Tony Kornheiser made there, too, is, hey, Sean Payton has worked with a smaller quarterback in, in Drew Brees before, so he knows how to work with them. That absolutely applied to the situation in Arizona With uh, another level to it. Kyler Mm Murray is a 5'10 quarterback, the smallest starting quarterback in the NFL. But he's also got jets like Russell Wilson doesn't have or Drew Brees doesn't have. I'm wondering, and we may never know the answer to this question, if this was more than a flirtation or Sean Payton using the Cardinals for Mm -hmm. leverage in another search. How much the Kyler Murray injury status and the reporting that was shared over the weekend about his timetable for return, how much that influenced Sean Payton's decision?
2: Well, that would be most unfortunate, wouldn't it? It would. And then you would ask yourself, okay, then what was the genesis of And again, that's why I went nuts on this topic. I don't understand why that report was even a report. And, but but you're right. Did where what, what role did that play in all of this? I, I don't know if it did, to be honest with you, because if Sean Payton looked at Kyler Murray and saw a significantly better chance to win a Super Bowl than he does with Russell Wilson, because what you said is very accurate. Russell Wilson. Below average sized quarterback. Same with Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray's got all the athleticism in the world. Russell Wilson has declining athleticism, if any left at all. So, but but to me, the, if if I if my faith in who Sean Payton is as an impact coach is accurate, and I've I've talked to a lot of people about Sean Payton over the years it this this is going to come down to his decision and not him settling for either or or the best of yeah. so to me this has got this that's why i come down to this idea that when when Sean Payton came out of the interview with Michael Bidwell and immediately quoted resistance to the idea that he was that he was turned off by the Broncos ownership. In hindsight, that should tell you something that should tell you something that that Sean Payton was sending a message to Denver while at the same time trying his best to keep a door open.
0: Yeah, I I think that's all fair. But now I'm going to focus on the Cardinals. The big fish is gone. Yep. Um in fact, my list amounts to nothing on uh, my preference, but Sean Payton was high on that list. Mm-hmm. Dan Quinn was high on that yep. list. Frank Reich was high on that list. Yep. Brian Flores was high on that yep. list. One of those guys is remaining. So now you can ca- you've can you cast your net far and wide. We're 23 days into this coaching search. Mm-hmm. Maybe you rolled the dice on Sean Payton. We don't know how far down the road the Cardinals went. It is imperative that they get moving now. If these are convenience interviews with Listen. Mike Kafka and Anna Rumo and, and Callahan, it's time to start. For, you know, it, there's, there's staffs being built, as you brought up earlier. It's senior bowl week, and your general manager, your new general manager, is conducting coaching interviews as opposed to hobnobbing and scouting. I know the Cardinals have people there, but...
2: It's time to move. It's time to stop casting nets, is what it is. Yeah. And, and this is again, this is, they got lucky. They were in dead last for the acquisition of Bruce Arians. Mm-hmm. They are always trailing the play when it comes to hiring coaches. Except, this, except when they hired Cliff Kingsbury. A nine a nine day turnaround. Yeah. So that, right, and that was out of character for them. And here we are four and, years later. Yeah. looking for a different right. coach. And no, again. So I I agree with you. The the amount uh, the the struggle the new guy is going to have to put a staff together mm-hmm. is very real, very very real. Because all those guys now are getting jobs. And so again, I don't I don't know. Hopefully, somewhere down the line, we'll get some clarity on this. You know, it's the worst scenario would be. Sean Payton asking, hey, Michael. You, you're not serious about wanting to watch film with me, are you? And Michael says, "Oh no, 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 That's i, yeah, I got to be involved, Sean. And then Sean's like, okay, great. And then he's like, I am so out Let's check
0: you. out Twitter and see yeah. what people are saying
2: about Denver. Right, right. Uh, you can and,
0: text your thoughts to the FanDuel text, text line at 620-620 right now. Also want to remind you, starting next Monday, listen for your name every day to qualify for your chance to win tickets to Super Bowl 57. Just text SUPER to 620-620 to register. Once you hear your name, Call in within the time frame, and you could be headed to Super Bowl 57, plus win tickets to the FanDuel Party, Bud Light Music Fest, and the Super Bowl experience. Again, just text SUPER, S-U-P-E-R, to six twenty six twenty. It's Arizona Sports All Access, presented by Bud Light and FanDuel. Coming up next, the end of an era in the NFL. As Tom Brady announces it this morning, He is calling it a career. We'll have more reaction to the big news of the day next. It's Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata mornings, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata. Hash marks.
3: Good morning, guys. I'll get to the point right away. I'm retiring for good. I know the process uh, was a pretty big deal last time, so when I woke up this morning, I figured i just press record and let you guys know first. So I uh, won't be long-winded I think you only get one super emotional retirement essay, and I used mine up last year. So I uh, really thank you guys so much to every single one of you. Supported me, my family, my friends, my teammates, my competitors. Uh, I could go on forever. There's too many. Um, thank you guys for allowing me to live my absolute dream. I wouldn't change a thing. Love you all.
0: That's Tom Brady in a uh, video posted this morning uh, announcing his retirement. Uh, of course, there's, there's always follow-up reports, back. Peter Schrager, NFL Network, this morning. Per sources close to Brady, the video posted this a.m. was filmed prior to this morning. Oh, come on! <laughs> Kept this
2: one awfully quiet. Come on!
4: <laughs> there's nothing on about something about this guy. I
2: was going to say, when you look at the video, you look at Tom Brady, <laughs> he looks a little sleepy, yet immaculate. He looks like he's had a good cry. It looks like he's been walking on the beach in a state of reflection, and it looks sort of like there
4: at sunup this morning.
2: It's he's by himself. You can see all these these homogenous condo buildings in Florida.
4: Start of a new month, reflecting on life. <laughs>
2: He's standing on the beach, the wind is whipping, and he's delivering this this moment of clarity. And you're telling me it was and pre-recorded? And I
0: just felt it. That was probably take 11. <laughs> I'm just telling you what Peter Schrager put out there.
2: And if you were a source close to Brady... yeah. Why would Tom Brady let anybody in on that, by the way? Because there's probably people who think this is how ridiculous Tom Brady is that 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 he actually scripted and canned something that was intended to look totally off the cuff. Yeah. And, wow. Okay, let's. Uh, I'm not going to try to get too far away from the message here. Um, this is an interesting thing. This is not at all what I expected. Uh, I really hope, in the grand scheme of things, um, this is this is going to work out well for his family because I I can't imagine this news does anything but embarrass Giselle and and what their marriage happened to be. Right? I mean, because if if you if you, if you literally walk away from your marriage because you cannot stop playing football because that is what makes you whole and wh- where that takes you is one very unfulfilling season with Tampa and now you're done, that just seems to me to be. <laughs> It, it just seems sad to me. Yeah, if that's indeed the case, I mean, there's
5: probably well, underlying uh, uh, factors. Of course. nothing, nothing uh, of is as what it but seems. But again,
2: they're living this in the in the fishbowl. So I'm I'm not going to apologize for talking about this. They yeah. they've made this our business, and, and so in the case of Tom Brady, I think that I, I think this is the right decision. I think what you said is is even more accurate, and that is this should have happened after he won the Super Bowl in Tampa. He had the greatest ending of all since Michael Jordan, and neither one of those guys could accept the sunset. Neither one of them gifted the greatest sunset imaginable, and both are the greatest to ever do it at their position, and neither one of them could take the cue. Neither. And and
4: Brady had even one step above Jordan because he did go to a new place and then won. Yes. It would be like if if, uh, Jordan went to Washington, won a title, and then still
0: played two more years. Yeah, look at that sunset. It is absolutely breathtaking. I've got this horse right here. Should I ride into it? Nah. Nah. (laughs) Sunsets are overrated.
6: Unless you're in Costa Rica with your wife,
2: well, well yeah, yeah. yeah.
4: yeah.
6: Do we yeah. see him pop up in Costa Rica?
4: Yeah. Someone was in Costa Rica with his wife. It wasn't him. though. Oh jeez, <laughs> damn! No, was
2: not, it wasn't. Like,
0: Jared, not his wife
2: anymore.
0: trainer.
6: They are
2: divorced. Yeah,
0: they are divorced. Yeah, I or something like
2: that. That all came together very, very quickly for Tom, didn't it? It was one year ago today that he retired the first time to save his marriage. So what's 40 right. days from now? Um, well, last year it was March
0: 13th. March 13th. When he unretired. You know what? I've given this retirement thing a go. And again, I'm coming um, back. Uh, I I ain't into it. I it's bet not- you
4: his wishes he would have done it a day later last year because then he would have un- retired again on, on Groundhog Day.
2: Come on. <laughs> they're really reporting that that was pre-recorded? That's what Peter oh, Schrager put out there. come on. <laughs> Make it stop. All right, so I uh, listen, I I said this earlier. I'm kind of cycling through this in my mind. I I recall very vividly covering the Super Bowl in New Orleans many, many years ago when Kurt Warner played for the Rams. This is the infamous Rams-Patriots Super Bowl that, in hindsight, a lot of the Rams players wonder exactly how much cheating the Patriots did, how much filming illegally they did of a walkthrough. Mm -hmm. To this day, Marshall Fox says we ran stuff on that field that Sunday that nobody had seen other than that Saturday walkthrough. So if they were taping it, they, if they weren't taping it, they have no idea what was coming, and yet they were perfectly aligned for everything they ran at them. Um, and and we, we know the cheating heart that is at at the root of the New England Patriots, so it's very easy to see that. But in real time, let me tell you this. I remember watching Tom Brady get the ball right before overtime, and John Madden, in one of the rare calls in which he was vilified for, was imploring the Patriots to play for overtime. Patriots were having none of it. They threw a screen pass to start the drive too. Former ASU star? J.R. Redmond. J.R. Redmond, and off the Patriots were. So Adam Vinatieri comes on the field, and I t- leave my seat in the press box at the very top of the Superdome, and I go to the hallway to watch the kick, because anybody who has covered a game at the aging Superdome knows you cannot trust the press elevators. <laughs> Not at the end of a game. Yeah. It may never come, and it may never get where you're going. <laughs> so you got to take the stairs. So I was in, I was boom, like a bat out of hell, as soon as the kick was decided. I remember... Kick goes through and I'm running down the stairs and I'm thinking and I'm running through people and I'm trying to reconcile how cool Tom Brady is to be that to be that nonplussed and to be that in control. And oh my what are we watching here? And at that point in time, the Patriots were considered America's team. They were the team that wouldn't introduce offense or defense. Everybody gets introduced because we are one. And they were loved for being the classic overachieving, let's do this together, underdog. With uh, with an underdog quarterback. Fast forward to many, many years. Tom Brady's here with the Patriots, and they're staying out at Wild Horse Pass, where I believe uh, the Eagles are going to be, or the Chiefs maybe are going to be there. I, I don't know. But, but then that was right after Deflate Gate. And so I saw him then in a much different light. And so now here we are full circle, and I'm here to tell you, man, life goes by fast.
0: Still took 23 years. <laughs> Not that bad. Right. Hey, Tom Brady's one of those right. guys. I think that's a perfect story because he's one of those guys who was this improbable sixth-round pick. Everybody has seen the the NFL scouting combine photos of Tom Brady with shorts on and no shirt, and you're like, this guy's got no chance to play in the NFL. Then he gets his chance and was revered and beloved because of that story, and it's that rare Cinderella story that many people grew tired of because of the length of it and the, the level of dominance that he reached. Seven yeah. Super Bowls, 23 years later, nobody thinks of him as, and maybe he still thinks of himself that way, but nobody thinks of him as that sixth round pick that went 199th overall in
2: the draft. Well, right, exactly. So I, so I think that the fact that this man is going to walk away with seven Super Bowl rings mm-hmm. at that position, which just blows away everybody else. Mm-hmm. Below that, it's what Montana with four, Bradshaw with four.
0: Yeah, um, Mahomes is going to challenge it, though. There's my prediction. What
4: I was just going to say that will never even be approached.
2: You know how good Patrick Mahomes' first five years in the league has been, but he's got, he's got one. one. He's got he better get this one. I, I think what Jared is saying is that with with Burrow and with Herbert, and he with, needs to get seven more to break it. And that's the thing. He has put this thing. It's it's it, he's put that record so far out in front of everybody else that it's you know it's quite something. All right, maybe I'm a little off. Andy no, Reid is it, is no youngster. No, listen, listen, no.
4: He no. He he's not That's that. The only thing I'll say about him, the only thing I ever Patrick say Mahomes about him, is talk about his age.
0: He can't succeed without no. But you Andy never Reed. you
4: never know what what happened. You know, in the next iteration of the coaching staff, there.
0: It's true. You can text your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. Coming up next, the big stories of the day, and man, they're pretty big this morning. We'll get into them repackaged in the rush hour reboot with Sarah Kazell's It's Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. <laughs> Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Rush Hour Reboot. Rush Hour Reboot. Getting you up to speed on everything happening in sports this morning. Brought to you by Brooklyn Betting. Arizona built for America's dreams. Good morning, everybody.
6: Woo! It is a spicy news day here on this Wednesday, February 1st. Welcome into the Rush Hour Reboot, everyone. I am Sarah Gazelle, taking you through all of those stories with Dan Bickley. Hey! Hey! Oh, some pep in his step today. Vince Murata.
3: Good morning, guys. <laughs> Good morning, Tom. Nice.
6: <laughs> and Jared Garland. My ACL scar looks like a sideways smiley face. He really does. It's very cute. Uh, Dan Bigley, is that extra pep in your step today because it's no longer dry January, or is it because Tom am, Brady's out of the NFL?
2: Yeah, listen, I'm I'm feeling entirely too healthy. I'm, uh, <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Dry February. I'm uh, yeah, I'm flush with achievement or something. Yeah, uh, it, to me, it's probably all of that. Um, uh, again, as to- as somebody who is not Tom Brady's biggest fan, I think I made that obvious, I'm very glad he's not coming to the NFC West next year, I was when I left here yesterday, and during the show yesterday, I was about as convinced of that as a fate accompli as about anything. Wow. And I'm real glad that's really? not happening. Yeah, wow. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to get... I wasn't the only one.
6: (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, We are going to get to Tom Brady in just a moment. But first, we are going to start locally with the Arizona Cardinals and the fact that Sean Payton is not coming here. Now, the Broncos still have not made it official. But ESPN's Adam Schefter reported yesterday that he is going to Denver. Russell Wilson wanted Sean Payton
2: and was pulling for him the whole time. And that the two have worked together at the Pro
5: Bowl, know each other, uh, have wanted to work together in the past, and here they are now getting an opportunity to do that.
6: How very fun for them. So the Broncos <laughs> sent their first round pick in this year's draft, plus next year's second round pick to New Orleans in exchange for Sean Payton and a third round pick in 2024. Um, of course, they had to negotiate that sort of deal because Payton technically is still under contract with the New Orleans Saints through 2024. Uh, we'll get to the remaining candidates in a second. But first, with D'Amico Ryan's official to Houston yesterday and now Sean Payton, we think official to the Denver Broncos. The Cardinals and the Colts are the last two teams left with openings, guys. Perception-wise, does it mean anything that the Cardinals and the Colts, an organization, the Colts, looks like a disaster, that these are the last two teams standing
0: and the Cardinals are part of that group? Perception-wise, yeah. yeah. absolutely. absolutely. It means something. That is not the, you don't want to be keeping company with the franchise that has absolutely no clue of what they're doing. And of course, I'm pointing at the Indianapolis Colts. Just to clarify, okay.
4: right, right, right. You don't. I right.
2: mean, and an owner that nobody in their right mind wants to work for. That's the. That is. That's. That's where you don't want to be. You don't want to be in that conversation. Look, there's As always in, ooh. What's the matter with them? There's always this thinking.
0: How attractive is said job when it opens up? And you always come back to the, well, yeah, there's only 32 of these jobs to go around. They're not all that attractive. They're not equally weighted. And again, the point I brought up earlier in the Sean Payton pursuit, how much of his mind was made up, unless he was just, again, kicking the tires and using the Cardinals in this process. But if he considered the Cardinals at any level, what was how much was the the Kyler Murray injury situation factored into his decision making
6: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you don't want to be compared to the Colts going back full circle. No,
6: no that's that's brutal. Uh, I mean, quite literally, blanker get off the pot, Jim say,
0: Am I right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think this search. Well, we're the, waiting. <laughs> this search right now has been the bathroom equivalent of at least an hour.
6: <laughs> at least. What are they doing over there? Okay. So of the candidates left for the Cardinals, there are a couple with previous head coach experience: Brian Flores with the Dolphins, and then Vance Joseph briefly with the Broncos. Um, plus, a couple new names added to the mix for the Cardinals this week. Lou Anarumo, Brian Callahan, Mike Kafka. And then a couple of interviews um, that happened last week or the week before. Aaron Glenn and Ajiro Evero. Who are maybe the top two or three most attractive candidates
0: left? For me, it's four. for Or there are three. It's Flores one.
2: And... By default, Vance Joseph too, yep. and that's not an exciting option. No, I'm with you. All right, that's it. that is the sad truth about all of this, A- and the hidden story in all of this is where is Brian Flores in all right. of this? Yeah, yeah. He's Just one interview for DC with DC Jobs too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. did Brian Flores say, "No, nah, I'm good. I don't really want." I'm not really interested. Or as Brian Flores has been a guy that the Cardinals know um, will take the job, so they've been confident in interviewing other people first. Yeah, I that's don't know. We're gonna find out if that's yeah. the case
0: too. How much of a, of a turnoff is that to Brian Flores? Well,
2: yes, absolutely. Um, when a man doesn't have options, he, a man might look at look at it a little differently. But again, this is this is. Brian Flores was angry enough at the NFL to drop a lawsuit on them. Yeah, Steve Wilkes came into that lawsuit and dropped the Cardinals into it. And so there's that weirdness that you have to kind (laughs) of look in the face and reconcile. I'm with Vinny. The bottom line is now they're at real risk of making a very, very underwhelming hire. Yeah. Isn't it
6: uh, disappointing when Vance Joseph is looking like the second best option right now? And we had said weeks ago, do not hire Vance Joseph.
2: Yeah, and it's and it's nothing against Vance Joseph, who I think probably will get another. Will, if will do a good job if he gets another shot, but it's just it. He's part of the existing culture. Right, you're not really cleaning well, no, house. No, you're really. not
0: at all. Yeah. All right, let's get to Tom That's Brady. It's like me when I clean house. I start off real vigorously, <laughs> and then by the end, I'm just like, yeah, I'll just push this tooth- under the couch.
2: <laughs> you got a toothbrush <laughs> with a yeah. toilet? You're yeah. getting in there? Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: right. Yeah, oh, I'm tired. I'll do this That's, later. That'll go under the rug. Nobody right. will ever see it. Yeah. exactly.
6: All right, Tom Brady is retiring again for good, he says. He uh, posted a video on social media this morning.
3: Here is part of it. Good morning, guys. Uh, I'll get to the point right away. I'm retiring.
4: As we all know. When he woke up this morning, he just thought I'd press record.
0: Whatever, whatever. That video I recorded several
2: days yeah. ago.
6: Okay, so the question is, do you believe him? Is, is this really for good, like he said?
2: Yes, I do. I I don't think I I don't think Tom Brady adds that does that. I, he's he's self-aware enough to know that you you can't walk back on this too.
6: Yes. Yeah. I appreciated that he yeah. even said that in the video. I know I already had my whole parade, my whole yeah. goodbye song yeah. and dance so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Do we think we see him on a Fox set next I, year? B- Sean
0: Payton? I'll answer the first Off question that? first. I don't fully believe him. I think there's still a crack of a door open. Really? Yeah. He's He's pathological.
4: Ah! Um I could see him playing in 2024. More likely, oh, yes, no. he's
0: he's on television next year. Okay. Peyton's off to Denver. And then like he slides into the seat. And then like well, well no, he's gonna be the number one game analyst, so he's not even part of the. Oh, panel. it wasn't it wasn't studio crew no, it's it's, in the booth. It's game crew. Oh. Um, very cool. Yeah, yeah. and, and <laughs> much like Sean Payton, he'll probably go, TV for a year and Bruce Arians before him. TV for a year, I want back in. Oh my god. All right. Uh,
6: There's a lot more that we could have gotten to, but coming up next, we've got somebody who covers Mike Kafka. Is that right? One of the Cardinals candidates uh, from the New York Giants. So we're going to talk to him
4: next.
0: Yes, that's true. Uh, Rush Hour Reboot. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah said, we will talk and get a, a closer look at candidate Mike Kafka, the offensive coordinator for the Giants. Dan Duggan, who covers the Giants for The Athletic, will join us straight ahead. It's Bickley and Murata mornings on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. In Marotta Mornings, Arizona Sports,
1: the local sports leader. Arizona sports Cardinals head coaching search update update update
3: The
0: Cardinals one of two teams still looking for a head coach in this cycle they've got seven candidates one of which offensive coordinator from the New York Giants Mike Kafka uh, still being considered here to give us a closer look on Mike Kafka the candidate for the Cardinals is uh, Dan Duggan covers the car, uh, the uh, Giants for the athletic and he joins us here on the Arizona
5: sports line Dan
0: good morning thanks for joining us
5: today. Yeah, no problem. How are you guys doing? Doing well.
0: Uh, Mike Kafka, kind of a new hot name in uh, coaching circles, 35 years old. I, I mean, I, I remember Mike Kafka's uh, playing career quite, quite <laughs> clearly. It doesn't seem like he's been gone that long. Uh, at this point, after one year as a coordinator, Dan, how would you just sum up uh, his candidacy and how ready do you think he is to be a head coach in the NFL?
5: Yeah, I mean, frankly, I'm a little surprised he's been such a hot name. He, You know, he really is interviewed for every opening. Um, I think he's, I think every opening now. Uh, or at least he was rumored in Denver maybe he never got there because obviously they pulled the trigger on Peyton. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's young. This is his first year as a coordinator. Like said, he's not too far removed from playing. Uh, it's not like the Giants offense uh, lit it up this year, but I think obviously people look at sort of his background and obviously what he had to work with this year, and they see a lot of potential there. And if there's one trend in this league, everyone seems to be trying to find the next Sean McVay, uh, you know, that young up and coming offensive coach. So uh, it doesn't surprise me. He's been on the circuit. Um, You know, obviously some of those, those dance cards are starting to fill up. So, I mean, Arizona might be his his best shot at this point, but yeah, no, he's definitely on sort of a, a meteoric rise. Um, uh, you know, up to the coaching ranks.
2: And, and we've seen that year after year. Some guys seem to be worth, worthy of it. Some people seem to flame out uh, the, the flavor of the months. What, what does your instinct tell you about his long-term viability as a head coaching candidate or as a head coach?
5: Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, the head coach question is the one that, you know, is, is impossible to answer. As, yep. as we see every year, you know, coaches get fired after one, two, three seasons. Just You know, it's a constant revolving door. So you really don't know until a guy gets in that position. Um, but, you know, he does have a really strong kind of lineage. You know, he, he played for a, a lot of different coaches, a lot of different systems. <clears throat> obviously, very tightly linked to Andy Reid, and, and that coaching tree has been pretty fruitful. And I think it was very beneficial and, and very intentional by him to leave Kansas City to come here where he would get more exposure. Because in Kansas City, you're always going to be under that Andy Reid shadow. You know, he's the one who calls plays, it's his offense. So by Kafka coming here, even though Brian Dable, you know, is, is certainly known as an offensive mind, Kafka was the offensive coordinator calling the plays. It wasn't as if, you know, he was you know, in title only. He was the one calling plays on Sunday. Uh, obviously, Dable has a lot of influence in the offense. But, again, when he push came to shove, Kafka was, you know, saying what they're going to run on third and two. And, uh, you know, he was running the offense. Because Dable's whole thing was he wanted to be more of a CEO. So, um, you know, I think he has definitely, you know, built a strong resume in a short period of time. Uh, as far as how he's doing that job, I mean, again, it's, you kind of have to take the plunge unless you're going to hire a retread because there's really no way to, to forecast that. As we see how often these guys get these teams get it wrong.
0: Very true. Dan Duggan, Giants beat reporter for The Athletic, our guest here on the Arizona Sports Line. Uh, it is only a one year sample, and yes, it was a resurgent year for the Giants. They, they make the playoffs, and that offense had, had something to do with it. But, you know, during the course of the year, maybe through your eyes, maybe through the eyes of the fan base, Dan, what were some of the criticisms uh, of the Giants' offense? offense under Mike Kafka this year
5: yeah well it's funny man. I think you know offensive coordinator is one of those positions you're just ripe right for criticism because everyone's sitting on the coach you know thinks they know better and and again like this offense is not lighted up but I think when you factor in the limitations they had personnel wise you know I think he really did do a good job so I mean there was times during the year where you know if you try a sort of a gimmick play in the red zone it doesn't work and obviously you know the offensive coordinator is an idiot but um, he actually, now that I mentioned that, he was fantastic in the red zone. And I actually think that's something he had a big influence on because you saw plays that certainly looked familiar to what they do in Kansas City. And the Giants had literally the worst red zone offense in the two pri- prior years. Yeah. They bring Dable, to bring Kafka and all of a sudden they're like seventh. And that, you know, that's again with not, you know, major upgrades personnel wise. A lot of that was scheme, very creative. Um uh, but yes, yeah, so you do not have a criticism. There's just games where obviously they didn't score a bunch, but I don't think. Uh, you know, he was exactly cut loose with the personnel. They had to try to, you know, put up 30 points. They were trying to manage games and win them, you know, 21 to 20, which they did. So, I mean, I think in, in that sense, job well done. And you see how the rest of the league received him. That he got all this interest.
2: Now, the Cardinals are kind of looking for a similar impact from their next head coach that Brian Dayball had, obviously, with the Giants. What intangible did he bring to that culture? How immediate was that culture change? And how rare is that to actually uh, find on the market?
5: Yeah, well, I mean, listen, I've, I'm very well-versed in coaching changes. I've been on the beat since 2016, and Dave was, <laughs> Dave was the fourth head coach I've covered. So I've seen this all kind of happen, and a lot of times is the honeymoon period, and, and then that wears off pretty quickly. But no, he definitely through year one, which is obviously all we can evaluate, he did a phenomenal job of, of changing the culture. I mean, I think the thing is, too, a lot of times you have a coach with one personality. When you fire him, you want to bring in sort of a different personality. So Joe Judge, very kind of disciplinarian, strict. You bring in Dable, who's much more of a people person, made it a much looser atmosphere, more of a players coach, and obviously players responded to that. And then you still have to, you know, be, you know, authoritative at times. But I think he did a good job of of loosening the culture up. And then obviously once the team has success, it kind of snowballs in a positive way. So uh, Kafka, though, is not a Brian Dable. I mean, Brian Dable's kind of a gregarious guy, especially with his players, maybe not always at the podium. Kafka's definitely a more reserved guy. So I would be Mm -hmm. curious to see... Uh, how that would translate to, like, leading the whole team. Because, you know, obviously he led the offense, but it's different when you have so many more dynamics when you're in the head coaching office compared to you're really just worried about what the offense is going to do. So that is something that, you know, obviously I'm sure these owners are trying to figure out and get to know him better in these interviews. Because I can't answer that because, again, he's never been in that position. But I don't know, like, looking at his personality and how he conducts himself, he isn't this huge presence so i am curious how that would translate
0: talking with dan duggan who covers the new york giants for the athletic here on uh, arizona sports and if the cardinals go down the road dan of hiring an offensive head coach that coach is going to be tied to the development the unlocking of kyler murray moving forward because he's the franchise quarterback whenever he comes back from the knee injury um when you look at Mike Kafka's, um, and the, the numbers won't blow you away, but everybody who watched the Giants this year will say, hey, Daniel Jones made strides in year four. How much of that had to do with Mike Kafka, and specifically how much? Uh, or what What did you see Daniel Jones improve uh, this year?
5: Yeah, that's a good question, because obviously it's hard to maybe divvy up who gets the credit, because again, Abel's an offensive guy, then you bring Kafka, and then also the quarterback's coach, who actually, uh, he's got no OC looks too. So every, everyone kind of associated with the Giants' offense, and Daniel Jones. Um, has gotten praise and gotten recognition for the job they did, but no, I think Kafka uh, definitely played a big part. Because even if you go back in Kansas City, you know he worked very closely with Patrick Mahomes. So again, you can't you know give him credit for Patrick Mahomes' development, but he at least played a role in that. So that's encouraging. He has a track record now with two guys where uh, he at least helps get the most out of them. And with, with Daniel Jones, the biggest thing he did because early in his career he showed promise, but he was just a turnover machine. Mm-hmm. And slowly but surely, even the previous regime cut back on that. But this year they cut back on it significantly. I mean, he actually had the, the lowest interception rate in the league. They really unlocked him as a dual threat, and so much of that I feel like was coaching because his big problem a lot of times was he'd be stuck in the pocket and he gets stripped and you wouldn't feel the pressure. They definitely coached him. You know, you hit the back of your drop, take off, get out of there before there's any trouble. Obviously, that's not something that would be foreign to Kyle Murray. So uh, that you know that could be a great fit in terms of kind of coaching a dual threat quarterback. Obviously, Murray has you know far more athleticism even than Daniel Jones. So. Um that could be a great fit. and um, yeah I, I think his tracker with quarterbacks would be very intriguing and trust why so many teams at least want to talk to him just to kind of get a sense for him, um, you know, and see if he is ready. I,
2: I saw earlier today that Brandon Ayuk, who's got obviously Arizona ties from his days in college, he uh, he seemed to like some social media posts of him in a Giants uniform and clearly the Giants wouldn't mind giving Daniel Jones or whomever a number one wide receiver. I guess my big question is this. What's coming for this franchise now? Because as you pointed out, you've covered this team through a, through a pretty prolonged valley and and the return of New York football was one of the big storylines last year in the NFL. What what about the excitement? What about the momentum and where this whole thing is going for fans of the Big Blue?
5: Yeah, no, I mean, I think the excitement and optimism level is really high. At the same time, this is a really critical offseason for them because, uh, you know, Joe Shane, the GM, came in with Dable and sort of just pushed all the big decisions down the road one year and, and kind of let guys like Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley play out their rookie contracts. But now it's time to make, you know, big-time, you know, nine-figure decisions, really, in the, in the Dana Jones discussion. So, uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how this all plays out. I mean, the early indications are, like, Dana Jones bringing him back is a priority. I think they want to just lock him up on a long-term deal, which, you know, I think you still do that with some trepidation because it's only been one year, and as you said, it wasn't like he set the world on fire. Um, but just sort of the other options they may or may not have, I think they're going to just have to go down that path. Then Saquon Barkley becomes this sort of next domino. Do they bring him back? I mean, we've seen that. Big second contract for running backs haven't really panned out. Uh, and then, you know, they still have to – it's funny. They had a really good year. They won a playoff game. They have major needs. And you, you mentioned Brandon Ayuk. Like, do they make a big Stephon Diggs-type swing? Obviously, Shaman's and in Buffalo for that to get a, you know, a number one wide receiver, whether it be him or T. Higgins. Some of these names you hear thrown around potentially being available. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating offseason. Like, again, they took a huge year one step, but year two isn't going to just be like, let's run it back. They have some big decisions to make that's yeah. going to really shake the, the next couple of years of this franchise.
0: Dan, thanks so much for joining us this morning. We appreciate the uh, the time and the insight.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Dan
0: Duggan, covers the New York Giants for The Athletic. He joined us on the Arizona Sports Line. I feel like we've reached the midway point of the show.
2: I wonder why that is. Because is it because it's seven fifty six. we've
0: reached the midpoint, midpoint. of the show.
2: <laughs>
0: I get these feelings. What does that mean? So well. Fire! Fire! <laughs> Bickley Blast Fire! is next. It's Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.